our scripture this morning is from Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. We'll be reading chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored, as happened among you, and that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to be here with you this morning and uh, worship the Lord together. Let me just get us started with a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into the text. Father in heaven, uh, Lord, we, God, we come before you, and uh, we're thankful for you. Uh, we're thankful for your son, God, uh, for calling us to yourself, uh, for saving our souls through the work of your son, Lord. Uh, God, we love you. We love you so much, God, and uh, we just ask that you would help us to see you more clearly this morning. Would you help us to know your character, God? Would you help us to know how reliable and trustworthy you really are, God? Please help us to put our trust and our faith in you, uh, despite whatever situations surround us, whatever circumstances uh, are in our lives, God. I pray that we put all of our heart, all of our trust in you, um, God, because we know you're faithful, we know that you love us, uh, would you help us to see that more clearly this morning? It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. All right, so we're in 2 Thessalonians, we're in chapter 3 now. Um, thus far in this series, we've seen that Paul is calling us to anticipate uh, God's justice, that God's justice will be established in all the earth, and he's calling us to anticipate God's power over evil. Uh, that is a, a real expectation. Those are real expectations that we can have uh, for our God who is faithful. And what is clear in Paul's writing is that God has no equal. He is unmatched in power, in glory. There's no one else like him. No one comes close. No one stands a chance. And God's omnipotence uh, is really good news for Christians. It's good news for believers. But something that we should equally consider, something equally important for us to consider, is the fact that God is faithful. Our passage this morning is short, but in these five verses, everything that Paul discusses is based not so much on God's ability, but on his character. So Paul's emphasis here is on the faithful character of God. And what he's helping us to see is that the power of God is never presented in Scripture apart from the character of God. So God is as faithful as he is powerful. That is what Paul wants us to understand. You see, the reason we can have a very firm confidence about our salvation is not only due to the fact that God is powerful, he's all-powerful, but due to the perfection of his character. God will do what he says. He will make good 
on every single promise. And that doesn't have so much to do with his ability, but it has everything to do with the perfection of his character. That's what it means to say that God is faithful. And he has promised that anyone who trusts in the person and work of Jesus will be saved and that we will be called beloved sons and daughters. God's perfect, faithful character is the basis of our assurance. So Paul calls his congregation and he calls us to trust in the God who is faithful. In other words, trust should characterize how we are to anticipate God's justice and his power over evil. Now, I've mentioned the book Pilgrim's Progress before here, and if I remember correctly, a lot of us are familiar with that. Um, I only read two types of books. Uh, Seminary textbooks, uh, so I'm reading about Greek grammar and theology, and I read kids' books. So in an interesting turn of events, uh, my kids are responsible for making me somewhat more normal. Um, But in the kids' version of Pilgrim's Progress, so I'm sure a lot of you have seen this. I want to thank the Madrid family for gifting this book to us, but it's the the big green little Pilgrim's Progress book where all the characters are like animals. They look like animals. In this kids' version of Pilgrim's Progress, uh, it's split up into two parts. The first story is about Christian and his pilgrimage to the celestial city, his pilgrimage to God's kingdom. And the second is about Christiana. So losing some creativity there. But it's about her pilgrimage. And the two, the two main characters, they have very different circumstances. So Christian in his journey, he's alone for a lot of it. Like he goes through the most difficult parts of his journey alone. He's by himself. But Christiana, for the entirety of her journey, she's accompanied by a group, a band of very weak, very vulnerable pilgrims. So there's children that are with her, uh, lame, people that are injured, the sick, old, elderly, those who are fearful. And at the beginning of her journey, she's also trying to convince her friends to go with her as well. And, and leave the city of destruction. This is what they have to say to her. Oh, cried the girls, how can you be so foolish? I am not so foolish, replied Christiana. I wish you would come with me and leave our beautiful city and all of our friends. What will your poor little sister do? And the boys, it is very wrong of you, Christiana, to think of leaving them. They are going with me, Christiana responded. Then the girls laughed. You must be mad. How can a baby rabbit like innocence be a pilgrim? Just think of all we heard about little Christian and his troubles. He was nearly lost in the swamp to begin with, and you know he had met with wolves on the hill of difficulty. Yes, said another, and you cannot have forgotten the news that we had from Vanity Fair about the death of Faithful. You are a silly girl to run into such danger, especially when you have a baby sister and three brothers to take care of. So she doesn't have very encouraging friends. And along the way, 
their group ends up taking more and more of these weak, vulnerable people. So here an illustration of one of the characters. This is ready to halt. So he's ready to quit. He's ready to give up. There's another character. His name is Despondent. And that just means he's easily discouraged. And Despondent has a daughter whose name is Much Afraid. And all of these people become pilgrims. And uh, a question that comes up as you read the story, actually, we'll go to the next slide first. This is like a little illustration of their little band. The, the character at the end, his name is Feeble Mind. So he really didn't luck out with the whole naming process there. Um, wouldn't want to be called that. Yeah. Uh, how are these pilgrims, how are these pathetic pilgrims going to make it? What gets them to the celestial city? As danger threatened this group of poor, pathetic pilgrims, Christiana looked to something the character Wisdom told her. Christiana tells the group, Wisdom said we need not be afraid. The king will take care of us. I wonder if any of us have ever felt like some of the characters in this story. Have you ever felt easily discouraged? Ready to quit? Like you wanted to quit? Things were going so poorly that you wanted to quit? Have you ever been much afraid? Voices around us will call us, call out to us, and try to get us to focus on ourselves and our own weaknesses and our own vulnerabilities. But Paul calls us to look to something different. Not to our own limitations and our own circumstances, but to the faithful character of God. He is a God who is faithful in all circumstances, despite all limitations. And that really is the main point of our passage this morning. It's very simple. The main point of Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 through 5, is... Rely on the God who is faithful. He is faithful to all who trust in him. He's not just faithful to the best and the brightest. He doesn't just help those who help themselves. No, he is faithful even to the weakest of the weak. And Paul works this out in three ways. Rely on a God who is faithful for others, when you think of others, when you think of yourself, and then for the future. So taking a closer look at point number one here. In verse one, and Paul does this a lot, he calls his congregation to pray for him. But we see that his prayer requests are really entirely Christ-centered. It's not about himself. Verse one says, Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. So for Paul, his greatest concern is about the glory of God's word, right? Who gets the honor here? It's it's the word of God. Paul's ministry is about delivering God's word and it's about the glory of God's word. It's about the honor of God's word. And an implication of that is that Paul's ministry is not about his deficiencies either. 
You know, one thing that I love about Pillar Church is that there are a lot of people here who are deeply involved. Involved, you know, a lot of us are involved in the ministry. We're all trying to be good Christians and serve the Lord faithfully. And so that means we know that it's not about us, right? We know that it's about the glory of God's word. It's not about how good we are and how much we serve. We know that ministry, gospel ministry, is about honoring God's word. But I think what this text calls us to remember is that it's also not about how poorly we might think we're doing as well. Paul's desire is for the word of the Lord to be honored, and then he says, as happened among you. So literally, just as it was with you. So the result, the natural consequence of gospel ministry is that the word of the Lord is honored. Paul witnessed the power of the gospel. He witnessed the power of God's word in the Thessalonian church. He saw God change hearts. He saw the power of God's word at work. So in the most loving way possible, Paul is saying to us that it's not about you. Maybe you felt the Spirit challenge you uh, to step out, to serve, to put yourself out there. But you don't think you're qualified enough. You don't think you're articulate enough. You don't think you're good enough. Yeah, I feel that way too. When I feel like I just did terrible at a sermon, like I just bombed a sermon, my wife lovingly tells, tells me, she says to me, get over it. It's not about you. Hey, she really says that, and it's, it's a good word. Yes, praise God. In the most loving way possible, Paul is saying to us, get over it. It's not about you. And that's the truth. The success of our ministry here at Pillar, our ministry, not my ministry, not the elders' ministry, but our ministry here at Pillar, the success of it depends on the power of God's word. And thank God his word can move mountains, it can split seas, it can raise the dead, and it can melt the hardest of hearts. God's word is powerful. It is reliable. And what we are called to do is to trust, to have faith in God's word, which lies in direct contrast with the opposition that Paul highlights in verse 2. Paul tells us that they need deliverance because not all have faith. I've said this before, but in the world, there are really just two types of people. There are the wicked, like we see in verse 2. And then there are those who recognize their need for God's grace. In other words, there are the wicked and there are those who have faith. And so this should remind us not only that our standing before God is entirely dependent on his grace, that we are needy people just like the tax collector who beat his breast and would not look up towards God, to remind us that we're just like him and that if we recognize our need for God's grace, then like him, we will walk away justified. So it should remind us of that. But I also think 
This text serves as a warning to the church as a whole, a warning that we should be cautious about who we join hands with, who we consider as allies. So I I used to work at Liberty University, uh, which is a rather big Christian school and a Christian college in central Virginia. And it's a great place. I, I think very highly of it. But at Liberty University, uh, we would have these things called convocations. They're like big chapel services. And I remember one convocation, we had Jordan Peterson come to speak. And it was like a really big deal for this community. It was a really big deal for us. Um, So many people were really, really excited about Jordan Peterson coming to speak at convocation. And... Unfortunately, what I observed and what I felt there during that time among Christians was just this desperation to have Jordan Peterson as an ally to the Christian cause. And look, I think Jordan Peterson is great. I think he's wise, insightful. I think there are a lot of common grace insights that he has. I think he has great things to say about suffering and the development of character. But you know whose opinion on politics or on human nature can't save me? Jordan Peterson's. His message is ultimately, you know, even though I agree with him on many points, his message is ultimately about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. And look, ownership and discipline are very good things, but ownership and discipline can't save anyone's soul. Ultimately, there are two types of people. There are the wicked, and then there are those who recognize their need for God's grace. And the good news that Paul points us to is that even though not all have faith, even though there are the wicked are out there and they will oppose you, even though that is a reality of our situation, God is faithful. Salvation, relief, eternal life does not depend on your circumstances. It doesn't depend on how strong you are or how articulate you are or how well you can combat and argue against those who have no faith. No, it depends on a God who is faithful. And that gets us uh, right to the heart of point number two. Rely on a faithful God for yourself. Now, maybe this point seems rather self-centered. You know, I probably could have worded it better. But let's look at some of the repetitions that are introduced here by Paul. All right, so in verses 3 and 4, Paul highlights two things. The faithfulness of the Lord and the word you. Look, he says, the Lord is faithful. He will establish you. Not maybe, he will establish you. And we have confidence in the Lord about you. So faithfulness being highlighted right there. But then look at how many times he repeats the word you. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will do the things that we have commanded. So again, two things that are emphasized. The Lord is faithful, 
And the faithful promise and work of God is for you. It benefits you. Paul, he does a little play on words here that actually works in English. So in Greek, um, if you look at verse 3, he says, Not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. In Greek, the, the word for faith and faithful, they only are, they're only different by one letter. They only differ by one letter. So very similar in English, that it only differs by three letters. And the point that's hard to miss in this play on words is that God's faithfulness is our true defense against all opposition. God's faithfulness is our true defense against all opposition. Our real comfort and assurance in the face of the enemy is God's faithful character. Naturally, I think we tend to look to our own strength, our own competencies to get us through times of trouble. And as many of us know, that really can only get us so far. Right? When evil seems to go unchecked, we can feel overwhelmed. When we're met with disaster after disaster and hardship after hardship, we can be easily discouraged. We become despondent. Paul tells us that our true defense, our true comfort and assurance is the faithfulness of a God who is unchangeable. So if you trust in Jesus, know that God's faithfulness is directed towards you. It applies to you, just like Paul highlights here. You see, the gospel isn't just a message about salvation in general, it's not just a message about God bringing his new creation or establishing his justice on earth. The gospel is a message about the Father's faithfulness to his Son. And because God the Father is faithful to God the Son, he is perfectly faithful to us by extension as well. John 6, verses 37 through 39 say, Here Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Because God has promised to give his son a people, we know that God is perfectly faithful to save and preserve all who trust in him. Not just the strong, not just the confident, not just those who help themselves. No, he is faithful to all, even the weakest of the weak. God is faithful to all who trust in him. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And a lot of the women, you'll be familiar with this verse. You guys have been studying Titus in your Bible study. So you'll know that a very simple observation that we can make here is who this statement is being directed towards. All people. 
So if you fit into the category of all people, then know that the grace of God is being held out to you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you trust in Jesus, not your version of Jesus, but the Jesus revealed in the scriptures, the Jesus who is identified as the one God, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable, yet distinct from the Father and the Spirit. If you trust in Jesus, he will, it's a certainty, he will, in the words of Paul, guard you and preserve you, even in the face of the greatest evil, even in the dark, dark valley of the shadow of death. Uh, a, a little piece of, I guess you could call it liturgy, a little piece of liturgy that I love is the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, there are other catechisms out there that are good. There's the Westminster, there's the, the New City Catechism that we use here, but the Heidelberg is the best. Um, look, the New City like follows, it copies the Heidelberg Catechism and in the first question. But the Heidelberg opens up uh, by asking us, us this question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but I belong in body and in soul, in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. There's not a better exposition of 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3, than that. All that we are, despite whatever difficulties and circumstances might be surrounding us, even the, the worst things that life has to throw at us, even in the face of death, we will be kept, secured, and preserved by our faithful Savior, Jesus. Heaven and earth may pass away, but the word of Jesus Christ remains forever. And he has spoken regarding his people. They are his. No one can snatch them out of his hand. He says that he will not lose a single one. That is his eternal word. It will not change. We really are forever kept, eternally and incorruptibly loved. So what do we have that we can rely on? Nothing short of the faithful character of God. And that extends into the future as well. So here, last point. Paul directs the hope of his congregation for the future to two aspects of God's character. We look at verse 5. He says, May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. So Paul is entirely God-centered in his thinking about the future, in his vision for the future, the future of his people. Everything is centered around the character of God. His prayer is that the eyes of his church will be fixed on the loving and faithful character of God 
so that they may endure in the Christian life. So what we need for endurance then is to know God's love and God's faithfulness. We need to know his character. That is exactly what we need. And let's be honest, there's a ton of things that we think we need, all right, all sorts of things that we don't actually need. Like, have any of you ever looked through your Amazon order history over the course of a year? Like, I don't know why I, I did this one day for whatever reason, and it was depressing. <laughs> like, we don't need more gadgets, more books. We don't need more money. What we need to persevere until we're brought into the kingdom of heaven is to set our eyes on God's character. And that's exactly what I want to direct us towards this morning. At the end of Christiana's story in Pilgrim's Progress, uh, they arrive at the shore where they cross into God's kingdom. And all the week, poor, pitiful pilgrims, all of them, they all make it to the shore. You see, the king used various means. He used different people. He placed guides in their life. He used different circumstances to make sure that they all made it. So this is them. This is some of these weak pilgrims crossing into God's kingdom. Here the author writes, It was not long after the departure of Christiana that a message was brought to the lame rabbit, ready to halt. You guys remember ready to halt? Valiant and Great Heart were both with him when the Shining One came. And when he received the king's summon, he turned to Valiant, saying, You must keep my crutches until you find another pilgrim who needs them, and then give them to him with my good wishes. And tell, that, tell him that I hope he will be able to serve the king better than I have done. Then he looked at Great Heart and said, You have been very kind to me and you have helped me wonderfully in my pilgrimage. His two friends went with him to the brink of the river, and when he had stepped into the water, he laid his crutches down upon the bank, and he said, I shall never need them again. I know that in the king's city there are horses and chariots that shine like the sun. A few days later, feeble mind was sent for. The king's message to him was very kind and gentle. The poor, weak pilgrim rejoiced to think that he would soon be in a land where toil and trouble are unknown. Some weeks passed before the Shining Ones came again, and their next message was for despondency. When Much Afraid heard it, she begged to go with him. And the king, who knew how dearly she loved her father and how faithful she had been to him through all the danger and difficulties of their pilgrimage, granted her request. So the father and the daughter entered the dark river hand in hand, and the pilgrims upon the shore could hear Much Afraid singing a song of praise as she went through the water, although she was too far away from them to distinguish its words. This vulnerable, fragile band of pilgrims, they make it all the way to the celestial city, all the way to God's kingdom, 
right, people who were, who were ready to quit and easily discouraged, those who were much afraid, prone to dis- depression and worry, the weakest of the weak, the people that you'd last expect to see there, the people that you would at last expect to make it all the way, people just like us, vulnerable, fragile, prone to wander, easily discouraged. And look, it's not like their journey had been easy either. They had to overcome all sorts of powerful enemies, dragons, giants, wolves, temptations like lust and greed. The servants of Satan were coming after them. These were enemies that would have beaten them right into the ground. And yet they have made it all the way. How? How did they make it? The reason they made it is the simple fact that their king is faithful because of the perfection of his character. They owe the success of their journey to the faithful character of God, a God who loves and cares for his pilgrims. He provided everything they needed along the way, the right pastoral care, the right guidance, the right direction. He provided strength and hope when they had nowhere else to turn. You see, God is faithful to us even when we are too weak and too discouraged to take another step forward. God doesn't help those who help themselves. He helps those who know they can't help themselves. Brothers and sisters, I I love this imagery because it's a picture of the church. It's a picture of us. A band, a group of weak people who are being brought, we're being carried all the way to the gates of heaven by a God who is faithful. So what then is the only real comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but I belong in body and soul, in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Father in heaven, we love you and we thank you, God. Lord, thank you so much for the way that you are good to us, for the fact that you have called us to yourself, that you love us perfectly and faithfully. God, nothing can take away your love for us, even the mistakes that we make, God. Thank you so much for your incorruptible love. God, thank you for this body of believers. Thank you for this church. I ask for your special blessing and guidance in their lives. Lord, would you please bless each of them 
richly to know the abundance of your grace and your mercy and goodness towards them. Father, we love you and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.